Well, good morning again. What a great time of worship. Thank you to our worship team. Thank you to our tech crew for being here this morning to make this work out today. It's a pleasure to be able to open the Word of God with you on this last Sunday of 2020. I've spoken to some pretty small audiences in my time, but never before an almost completely empty auditorium. This is a little different and a little weird, but thank you so much. I know there are so many of you watching online right now. I'm so glad you've joined us and you've gathered with us and that we can do this together in the name of the Lord. One of the advantages I did think of as, it's just a small thing, but if you've seen me preach before, you know I do a lot of this. I take my glasses off so that I can see the people and then I put them back on so that I can read my notes on and off, on and off the whole message. Well, today, since there's no people to see other than Jordan and, and a couple of musicians and our wonderful tech crew, I can leave my glasses on the whole time, so there won't be that distraction for you. But it is a pleasure to be with you, and I thank you for tuning in with us today. I want to tell you a little bit, uh, something that happened to me a few years ago. About 15 years ago, we went up north, me and my family, to visit some friends in Blind River. I don't know if you know where Blind River is, but you can look it up. And while we were there, our, our friend said, hey, we want to take you out to Blueberry Island. Blueberry Island was this island out on the lake just north of, of Blind River. And they said, yeah, it's a great, great little island. There's a big rock. You can jump off the rock into the water. It's a lot of fun. We'll have a blast. But they had a small boat, so um, he, he loaded his family into the boat, and they, they went off, and they, they dropped everyone off at the island. Then they came back and they got me and my family and they took us to the island and we eventually all get there and we're having a great time. It was beautiful. The water was amazing. The, the jump, jumping into the water from this rock was, was a blast. We had so much fun. The sun was shining. It was a beautiful summer day. We had a wonderful day with our friends. And then it came time to go home. So we started the process of um, you know, loading as many people as we could into the boat and me and my wife, I think my kids stayed with me too. I can't remember actually. Um, but me and my wife at least stayed back and they took the first load of, of people home. And as the boat kind of disappeared around the corner of this island, it all got really, really quiet. It was amazing. There was this, this, this peace kind of settled over. All you could hear was, you know, a little bit of wind and the, the water lapping against the rocks and... It was beautiful. And I sat there with my wife and just, it, it, was, it was so amazing. We just reveled in the beauty of, of nature and God's creation and this, this beautiful day that we had together. And we sat there on that rock enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the water. Fifteen minutes passed. Half an hour passed. And I looked at my wife and I said, don't you think Dave should have been back by now? And it was really only about a 10-minute boat ride back to the dock and then 10 minutes back. I mean, it's been a half an hour. I hope nothing's wrong. Nothing's happened. She says, oh, I'm sure it's fine. And I'm like, yeah, of course it's fine. Dave's not going to forget us, right? And, and we've been friends a long time. We've been friends since, well, we were children and together in Africa. And I, I knew he wasn't going to leave me there. I had every confidence that some way Dave would come back and get us. But I was starting to wonder exactly when that might happen. 
or how it might happen. In fact, at one point I even kind of looked across the water at the shore, which was maybe, I don't know, it's hard to tell distances over water, but I was thinking maybe about 500 meters, maybe more, I don't know, to the nearest cottage on the mainland. I thought, well, if I had to, I guess I could probably swim across and, and maybe get us some help, take matters in my own hands. And I thought, no, no, Dave's coming back. I've, I know he's coming. So we waited. And we waited. And we waited some more. Knowing deep down inside that eventually Dave was going to come back and at this point save us from a night on a cold island. I'm sure it was going to get cold at night. But we waited, not knowing when that was going to happen or, or maybe at this point even how that was going to happen. Every once in a while we'd hear a motor. Oh no, it's just an airplane flying overhead. And, but then finally we heard a boat motor and we saw Dave come around the corner of the island and come towards us. As he gets closer, we can see this sheepish grin on his face as he says, yeah, sorry guys, you know, the, the motor conked out on the boat and it, it just took us a while to, to get it fixed and get it started up again, but we're here. And we all piled on the boat and headed back and it was the end of a great day and a great adventure. But have you ever been someplace like that or in that time of waiting where you're waiting for someone to come and save you, to rescue you. Maybe your car is stuck in a ditch or in a snowbank and you've called CAA and yeah, the recording said they'd be there in about a half an hour, but you're waiting and it's been a half an hour, it's been an hour and you're at their mercy. You can't get out and push the car out yourself. You just have to wait for them to come. Or maybe, what about right now in these COVID times that we're living in? Who or what are you hoping will come and save you? Are you waiting for the government to have just the right policies that will fix the situation we find ourselves in? Are you looking to our medical professionals for help? Are you waiting for a vaccine that will save us from COVID? Or maybe you're just relying on yourself, on your own intelligence, your own ability to do the research and read the right articles and figure out how to deal with COVID. I mean, if we think about it, we're all waiting for something or someone to save us. Even if we're just waiting for ourselves to figure it out so we can save ourselves. Because we live in this big world with big issues and big challenges. And most of the times it's bigger than us. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. And so we wait and we hope we hope for someone or something that will fix it, that will make it all better, will make it right again. How many times have you heard someone say, I wish things were just back to normal? Well, I'd like to rewind, if you will, go with me back a little over 2,000 years ago to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire consisted of the countries, mostly, mainly the countries that bordered the Mediterranean Sea, and the Roman Empire was a mess in the beginning. War and strife and conflict and unrest. Everyone vying for power and control and trying to figure out how to make this work and who was going to be in charge, who was going to make things work for the empire. Until along comes a guy named Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus ruled the Roman Empire from 31 BC to 14 AD. 
And he ushered in what they called the Roman peace, the Pax Romana. You see, Augustus managed to do something no one else had done before. He brought a relative peace to the Roman Empire. He, his methods were brutal. His methods were terrible. But it worked, and he brought a certain amount of peace to the Roman Empire. And Augustus was revered by many, many, many people. Augustus was revered. In fact, there is a, an inscription. It's called the Priene Calendar Inscription. And I have a translation of it here. It's written in Greek from 9 BC. This is a, an English transliteration, translation of the text. And listen, it doesn't read very well in English, but listen to the wording of this inscription as they talk about Caesar Augustus. It says, It seemed good to the Greeks of Asia... In the opinion of the high priest Apollonius of Menophilius Azanatus, since providence which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit mankind, sending him as a savior both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings, the good news for the world that came by reason of him which Asia resolved in Smyrna. Do you hear that language of that text. That inscription declares Augustus to be filled with virtue to benefit all mankind. Describes him as a savior, not just for them, but for their descendants. Describes him as the bringer of peace to end war. Even calls him a god. And it says that with his birth would was the beginning of good tidings, good news for the world. In fact, the point of that inscription was to make a case for starting the Roman calendar. The first day of the year would be Caesar Augustus's birthday. You see, the Roman Empire needed a savior. And Augustus was that savior for them. See, it's not unique to us today. This is 2,000 years ago that people were looking for a savior at the same time as the Roman Empire was flourishing and Augustus was the savior of the world in many people's eyes, the Jewish people were still waiting for a savior. Waiting for their Messiah, the long-awaited one who would free them from Roman rule to reestablish the nation of Israel and put a king on David's throne again. And that brings us to our text for today. A very familiar text for most of you, I'm sure, and an appropriate text for two days after Christmas. I trust many of you have already read this this weekend. I know we read it every Christmas day with my family, and I'd like to read it again for you right now. Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. This is what the word of the Lord says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place 
while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word, this living word of God. And Lord, as we dig into it a little bit today, Lord, speak to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, reveal to us what you would like us to learn today, that we would be changed by your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. The Christmas story, this, the account, the historical account of the birth of Jesus Christ, I'm sure is well known to many of you. You've probably memorized it at some point in your life. But I want to make a case today from, from the Christmas story. I want to make a case that Jesus is not just a Savior, but a Savior like no other. Jesus is not just a Savior, but a Savior like no other. And I want to show you where we see that in our text today. First of all, in verses 1 to 3. In verses 1 to 3, we see that Jesus is the authority, not under authority. Jesus is the authority, not under authority. You see, Jesus transcended the human authority in his coming. See, prophecy was clear that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. We know that. Pastor Rick talked about that a couple Sundays ago. But Jesus, in the womb of Mary with Joseph, was not in Bethlehem. So God had to get them from Galilee, from Nazareth, to Bethlehem. And how did he do that? Well, he used the actions of a pagan emperor, Caesar Augustus. 
God used him, God used Caesar Augustus to set the stage for the birth of Jesus in fulfillment with Messianic prophecy. You see, Caesar was just doing what governments do. He was acting in his own best interest for power and control. And so he declared a census. He wanted to count all the people. He wanted to know how many people he had to fight in his army. And he wanted to know how many people he had in terms of how to tax them to make money for the government. He was doing what he thought was in his best interest and in the best interest of his empire. Augustus was totally unaware that his actions were putting God's plan into action. But you see, God and Jesus is not controlled by earthly governmental authority. Not then and not now. In fact, Jesus transcends human authority. He transcends human authority and he's not controlled by human authority. Not then and not now either. I mean, I know we're reading about a story a long time ago, but, but apply this today. I mean, yes, now we know that Jesus did model submission to authority. He submitted to his father. And at times he submitted to the government of the day because he wanted to make the case that the government is put in place by God. But, God, but Jesus was never controlled by governmental authority. And he still isn't today. Today we have presidents and we have prime ministers and we have kings and we have dictators, the rulers of this world. And they think by their actions that they are serving themselves or serving the best interests of their countries. But please remember, God is sovereign over all earthly authority. He will do what he will do with or without the cooperation of earthly governments. That's how God works. It's how God worked back then at that first Christmas. Jesus transcended the authority of Caesar and used Caesar to be born in Bethlehem. See, Jesus is a savior like no other because he is authority. He's not under authority. But there's more than that, and this is a very familiar point from this text, but we know that Jesus came in humility rather than in pomp and fanfare. Right? We often make a big deal about this at Christmas time because the details of Jesus' birth are the exact opposite of almost everything one would have expected for the Messiah, for the King to be coming to Israel. But just a reminder, look at the contrast between the proper rights of Messiah and the humble circumstances of his birth. I mean, last Sunday, Pastor Rick talked about this a little bit, right? Remember, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Mary and Joseph of Galilee and Mary, an unwed mother, how much lower and more insignificant parents for the Messiah could you come up with in that day and age? And then, of course, we see in our text today that Jesus is born in Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the royal city. Why? The Messiah should have come to Jerusalem, but no, he comes to the little town of Bethlehem that we sang about earlier today. And, of course, we know that there was no room in the inn, so Jesus was laid in a manger. When he should have been laid in an ornate 
perfectly carved cradle of some sort in a palace. That's what he deserved. But he was in a manger, not a cradle. And then even his announcement, announced to lowly shepherds. Why not announce to the priests and the religious leaders in the temple? Unto you is born today a Savior who is Christ the Lord. No, it went to lowly shepherds. Shepherds considered probably the lowest of the low in society at that time. Considered ceremonial, ceremonially unclean in the temple because of the work they did with the livestock. And yet God chose shepherds. Jesus chose shepherds for the first people to hear of his birth. The contrast is stark and amazing. And it should stand out to us every day that Jesus came in humility. The humble circumstances of Jesus' birth signaled something. Signaled that he would be a savior different than any other. A savior like no other. A different kind of savior. Jesus is still a savior like no other today. And Jesus... God still does things differently now than we would expect. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you are surprised by God. When God acts in a way contrary to the way you think things should be done. That's the way God did it for Jesus and the birth of his son. He's going to continue to work that way in our lives. God does not act in the manner we might expect. Because his ways are not our ways. Because they are above our ways. The actions of God, the actions of Jesus transcend our understanding. And who are we to question God? I mean, if you want a lesson in questioning God, read Job. Four chapters, 38, 39, 40, and 41. Four chapters of God saying to Job, how could you ever question me? And he asked him question after question. Did you create the world? Can you put water and land? Can you hook the Leviathan with a hook and catch him? Then the list goes on and on. Four chapters of why we have no right as human beings to question our God because his ways are above our ways. So don't be surprised when you're surprised by God. You see, Jesus' humble birth clearly indicated that he was a different kind of savior. One who came in humility and as a servant. See, Jesus didn't just come to a humble birth. He humbled himself in submission to his father. Jesus became a man out of obedience to God. And in doing so, understand, he gave up the, the right to the independent use of his power, willingly. He humbled himself and became a man for you and for me. So Jesus is a savior like no other because he is authority, not under authority, and because he came in humility rather than with pomp and fanfare. But there's one more thing in the text I want you to see about our Jesus. Is that Jesus is more than anyone expected. Jesus is more than anyone expected. Look at the announcement 
in verse 11 that we read in chapter 2 of Luke. The angel said in verse 11, Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now that word Christ is also the word Messiah. Christ is the Greek, Messiah is Hebrew. Now the Jews were waiting for a Messiah. They knew that. They were waiting a Messiah. They were waiting for a king. Messiah means anointed one. That's, that's who the Jews anointed back in those days. The, the a prophet or someone would anoint someone to be the king over Israel. The anointed one, the Messiah, would be a king who would free them from Roman rule at this time. They'd been waiting for many years. They wanted to be freed from a lot of other people before the Romans. But at this point, they're waiting to be freed from the Romans, waiting for a powerful leader to rise up, to restore David's throne, to restore the nation of Israel. I'm pretty sure the Jews would have been quite content with another King David, or maybe a Moses, a great leader like Moses, or a a powerful prophet like Elijah as their Messiah. But we see from the angel's announcement that Jesus was more than even the Jewish people were expecting in a Messiah. See, the angels describe him as Savior, Christ, and Lord. So Savior, first of all, we'll start with Savior. Savior means deliverer or protector or preserver. Now, many people thought Augustus was the Savior of the world. But Augustus only brought political peace and stability to the, to the Roman Empire. Jesus brought salvation from sin and death. He wasn't a savior like Augustus. He was a savior from sin and death. Do you understand how strong and powerful that is? Romans 5 tells us, that we were God's enemies, but because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we could be at peace with God. Augustus brought some sort of worldly, earthly peace, but Jesus brought peace between man and God. We often talk about our sermons amongst the pastoral team here. We have a great team. So thankful for them. And, and I got a, Pastor Calvin said something that I just had to include here. He said, we needed a savior like no other because we have a problem like no other. See, Jesus is a savior like no other and we needed a savior like no other because we have a problem like no other. We don't have a political problem. We don't have a healthcare problem. We have a sin problem. We have a problem with God. We are enemies with God without Jesus. We are separated from God by our sin and only Jesus A savior like no other could make that right. But the angels didn't just describe him as savior. They described him as Christ, as Messiah, as the anointed one, the king. This was indeed the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecy. And then finally, the angels, savior, Christ, Messiah, and the Lord. They describe Jesus as Lord, which means ruler. But it was more than that to the Jewish people. It was a title of deity. Lord was the covenant name of God. 
In fact, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word Lord is used in place of Yahweh out of respect for God because they were even hesitant to write his name. So the term Lord referred to Jesus as God. Not a God, but God. You see, Jesus was not just a savior. He wasn't just the Messiah. But he was a savior who is the Messiah, who is God. See, no one was expecting Messiah to be God incarnate. They were expecting an earthly king, sent by God for sure. They were expecting a king. Instead, they got a savior who is Christ the Lord. And it's more than that even. It's more than that. Because it wasn't just for the Jews. The Jews were expecting a Messiah who would save the nation of Israel. But we see in verse 10, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. All the people. Jesus came not just for the Jews. Jesus came for everyone to save the world. Right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus clearly exceeded everyone's expectations of the Messiah. He is clearly a savior like no other. I hope you know that today and I hope you see that and you believe that. But I want to ask you a question. What do we do with that? What do we do with that information? Jesus is a savior like no other, but how do we respond? How do we respond to this great Savior? Well, first of all, I have to ask you, are you trusting in Him? Or are you putting your trust in another Savior? Are you trusting Jesus, a Savior like no other? Or are you settling for saving yourself, trying to save yourself with your own intelligence, your own wisdom to make right decisions and inform your actions? Or are you looking to Jesus? Are you waiting for the government to save you? Are you waiting for a vaccine to save you? Now, all the things are good, by the way. God put governments in place. God gave us great medical care and health professionals. And we're grateful for all they do. And he even gave us minds to think and, and research and study and learn. But Jesus is a Savior that transcends all of that. Jesus is a Savior whose wisdom exceeds anything we can imagine. He's a Savior who knows everything and is above all things. Why would you depend on a Savior other than Jesus? So please, respond by making sure you are trusting in Jesus and not some other Savior today. Secondly, I know many of you who are watching today and listening today have already put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've responded to his offer of salvation and received the gift of eternal life, victory over death that comes through Jesus Christ. I know many of you have done that already. But if you haven't, it's where you need to start today. See, it's not automatic. Jesus didn't just come as a Savior and now we're automatically all saved. No. You need to respond to God's offer of salvation. It doesn't just happen. You need to receive him. You need to receive Jesus as your Savior and your Lord today. 
Now, once he's your Savior, and maybe he is already, I hope, I hope he is, then what? What do we do? Well, first of all, please be reminded today of the awesomeness of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. He truly is a Savior like no other. It's easy, especially for someone like myself who grew up in the church, I've known about God and known Jesus for most of my life. It's easy to take him for granted sometimes. And as we look at his word, as we read about him, as we learn about him, please be reminded today of the awesomeness of God and of the awesomeness of who Jesus is. And then let your knowledge, let your knowledge of Jesus increase your love for him. See, knowledge is a good thing. That's where we start. We start by learning about things. But that knowledge has to sink down into our hearts. Sorry. That knowledge has to sink down into our hearts and our knowledge needs to increase our love for Jesus. Let your knowledge of Jesus increase your love for him. But it doesn't stop there. You need to let your love for Jesus increase your trust in him. Right? Knowledge leads to love, but love increases your trust in Jesus. It's great to love Jesus, but that love needs to turn into trust. And then finally, as you learn to trust Jesus, let your trust in Jesus increase your obedience to Him. You see, we often don't obey because we don't trust. Right? We say to our kids, don't touch that, it's hot. Why do they reach up and touch it anyways? Because they didn't trust us as their parents. We do the same thing to God. We sin because we don't trust that God has our best interests at heart. We don't trust his word. We don't trust that he knows what he's talking about when he says, do this, don't do that. And we have to figure it out for ourselves. Let your trust in Jesus increase your obedience to him. The more you trust him, the more you will obey him. And remember, obedience comes from humility. Trust comes from humility. Recognizing that he's better than us. He knows more than we know. You need to humble yourselves in obedience to God, imitating Christ's humility. Remember, we talked about his humility earlier, how he came to earth as a humble baby, to a humble family in a humble town, humble beginnings. But he came in humility to his Father, and we need in humility to be obedient to God as well, imitating Christ's humility. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 2 quickly with me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who bring, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Familiar passage of scripture for, for many of you, I'm sure. But it's not just another reminder of Christ's humility. Look at verse 5 again. Your attitude, my attitude, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's why he came in humility. To model 
how we should respond in humility and humility leads to obedience. Your response to the humility of Christ should be to humble yourself in obedience to God just as Jesus did. Well, remember, please, today that Jesus is a Savior like no other. Never, never let the awesomeness of God become commonplace or mundane or taken for granted, please. And respond to Him appropriately. Receive His offer of salvation today if you haven't done that already. And then in humility, walk in obedience to God. If Jesus is really a Savior like no other, let us be sure that we are responding to that truth appropriately today. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much that you did send us a Savior like no other. Jesus Christ, Savior Christ, Lord. And Lord, we are so thankful to be reminded of that truth today. Lord, I pray that that truth would increase our love for you. I pray that our love for you would increase our trust in you. And Lord, I pray that our trust in you would increase our obedience of you as we humbly submit ourselves before our almighty, all-powerful God and walk in obedience today. So Lord, I ask that you would do a great work in each of us, Lord. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, change us, grow us, strengthen us, make us more and more like Jesus every day, Lord, as we seek to imitate him out of obedience to you. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son. Thank you for all that he means to us. We commit ourselves again to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.